story. And I'm like, Orlando! I was basically a uh, Charles screen. It's like the tires will fit and he's Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Shakedown. Hello. We are back. Season two is off to a start. Mm. So, yeah. And most importantly today, Moni is wrapping William's colors in her hair. Blue. It's not William's blue right now, though. We're going to have to wait for it to become William's blue. Right. But I know we've not been on video for all that long. But if you go back to last week's episode, you'll notice that she was sporting, like, Alpine BWT pink hair. Mm -hmm. And now she's, you know, firmly getting in the Williams corner. And we're going for it. Williams has multiple shades of blue. There are multiple shades of blue. There's a dark blue in there. So we're going to call it Williams blue. Okay. We're going to call it Williams blue. My hair there for the next six weeks will be Williams colors then. Woo. There you go. She is. We we are we are Williams fan podcast. What can I say? We are. So to get us started off, I believe we're going to. Should I call you News Anchor Ellie for Media Day? Please, <laughs> please look live from England. Yeah, live from England, which is very cold, but probably not as cold as our places in the UK. So yes, we are going to our Media Day segment, which you know we've had some huge news, guys, and this was huge news that dropped. <laughs> So when did we record? We recorded this time. We recorded Tuesday night. And on Wednesday morning, the news dropped that none other than Mr. Gunther Steiner had been sacked from Hearts F1 team. He was leaving. He was done. He's no longer the team principal. Guys, give me your initial reactions. Why can't this happen Tuesday when we were recording? But anything, this means we're an actual podcast now when it comes to sports. Because all the sports podcasts I listen to that I love, news breaks after we're done recording. (laughs) So we've made it, guys. We've made it. We've made it. We've made it. Were you surprised by the news? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's been there for 10 years. And to be honest with you, Mm. being there for 10 years is not a short feat. It's not a small feat when it comes to Formula One. Like, yeah, there are people that have been there for a couple of decades, but they're not in, you know, prominent, not prominent roles, yeah. that's the wrong word, but like, the they're not in front-facing roles. They're not team principals. <laughs> right. So, you know, that kind of is just, the only exception would be like Christian and, and Toto, who did sign a new contract in 2026, by the way. So I have some interesting statistics for you. Ooh. So... Time spent at a current F1 team as a team principal for Christian Horner, 18 years. For everyone else combined, 16. Wow. Yep. And bear in mind, like, 10 of those is Toto. Yeah, that's true. Like, that's that's mad to me. Like, not in a bad way, but, like, it's actually more... Christian's the rare one here. Actually, the longevity of a team principal isn't huge, actually. And... I think one of the very telling things for me has been that Gunther's not really been quoted in any of the news cycles. So there's not been that many quotes, like particularly initially, there weren't that many reports, that many comments, that many quotes from him, which I think says a lot about where the decision was made and maybe the, who the decision was made by. Um, so, yeah, I do just think it's a bit curious. What What are your thoughts, Hannah? Well, so, okay. Um, when it was released, it was released as a statement from Gene Haas, which mm-hmm. we don't get a lot of those from him because he's very hands-off owner mm-hmm. from the Formula One standpoint. 
I believe he's a lot more involved in the NASCAR standpoint, but I could be very wrong. It's just it the way it seems like he's he's anchored in the NASCAR office here in Kannapolis. So like that's just kind of how it has looked for a while. And the way that it was phrased was effective immediately, which means that he was either fired or it was a negotiated deal that was coming for a while. And he From was what I understand, uh, got the phone call between Christmas and New Year. Yeah. So, which means that it is option A. And to me, that says that there was something either, a fa- like a lot of people on like socials are saying it's a falling out or like something went down. Like we don't know. And obviously we're not ones to speculate because we weren't there and we're not going to be there. We're probably never going to know. However, the way that it looks is that he lost trust in his team principal, which is really not a good look. No, it's not. And so the guy who's coming in now and is the new Haas team principal is Ayo Komatsu, who has been with Haas for a long time. He's got an engineering background, very much like, I think he's been, it was, he was head of engineering there for maybe 10 years uh, before taking on the team principal role. So, you know, it suggests that potentially that's the kind of route that they want to go down. That's what Gene is wanting to focus on is more of the engineering side. But Let's be real. Haas did a bad job last year. They finished 10th. Like, it was not good. And I understand that, that the book has to start with someone, and particularly if the team principal is the person who's responsible for kind of how people spend the money, where people spend the money. I do understand it, and I think it's probably fair that they did have to make some kind of change. It's a shame that it's gone for I wonder where he'll pop up next. I wonder if he'll be a pundit. I wonder if he'll be going to... It was a rally. Were rally championships he was involved yeah. in? Yeah. Here's my only thing. I don't know if I'm sad to see him go. And the reason I say that is because, A, there was... They were never, like, a high-performing team under him. And you're right. Um, Kamatsu has been there as long as Gunter has, but in the engineering department. So he has just as much longevity and as much seniority. Mm. My thing goes back to how he treated Mick. Yeah. That's when he lost me. Like, as, as a... I was never really a fan. I was a, okay, you're there, cool. Um, and then it became tolerating when I found... When everyone found out the way that Mick was treated. Um, yeah. His last, in his second year there. Yeah. So, I'm not really sad to see him go. I will be very inter- interested to see if this shock changes the way that he approaches things yeah Um, i'm not sad to see him go and i'm not massively surprised to see him go but Mm. i am curious i think as much as anything i think it shows no one safe (laughs) um as you rightly mentioned toto has signed another three years at mercedes um and apparently and this is interesting there's no performance clause so it that's three years rather regardless of how mercedes do now, I don't know who that benefits. I don't know if that benefits him or whether that benefits Mercedes. But I think it would be very interesting to see that he's also come out as having said that the car is worlds apart from the car that they had the last two years. So, you know, we'll see. Hopefully positive things. Other bits of news. The ex-Alpine Sporting Director, um, Alan Permain, is returning back to F1 and he is moving to AlphaTauri. So he was in Renault at the same time as Daniel Ricciardo. They're quite close. They're get on really well so he's moving we've had a lot of talk recently on non-driver personnel and movement around there so talking about you know your uh, performance coaches your team principals but 
these people like sporting directors are also hugely involved in the running of the teams. And so actually seeing the changes here, we've had one of the key Ferrari strategists that's been sacked in the last week. There's a, there's a change of foot. And so I do think that there's the capacity to see some some real changes in some of the teams and how they operate this year, which for me is quite exciting. I think that could be really, really good. Have you guys heard any other bits of news, bits of rumours about those kind of things? Just nope. the Ferrari one. Just the Ferrari yeah. one. I saw it and I remember texting you guys being like, is this true? Because it was like Judge 13 that I found it on and apparently it's been a thing. Now, that will be really interesting that they're actually making moves in the strategic department because they apparently moved that particular person, and I cannot remember his name. I don't have it in front of me right now. Um, he was head of strategy two years ago, and they moved him down, and then they got rid of him mm-hmm. this year. So either or yeah. it, it there it's very weird. It says he, it's it alludes to him being sacked, but it also could mean that he left. Now, yeah. um, I'm gonna take option A. Um, just the way things are right now, it seems more likely. But it'll be really interesting because he was the head of strategy during their last successful season. But again, that was the controversial season. Was that 2019? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's all our media news. Anybody got anything else for media day? I don't think so. I mean, technically McLaren dropped delivery, but like. Oh, we're getting there. We're getting there. So we are going to have a learning moment this week because we've obviously not had a race, so nothing to pull out from there and nothing that isn't covered elsewhere, both in our social media moment of the week, uh, but also our topic of the day, which I'm excited to get into. So social media moment of the week. Now, Molly has given us hints already, but Hannah, talk to us about our social media moment of the week. Okay, so the very... the. We're going to call it the first official award given out for moment of the week is going to be um, McLaren as a whole. Their social media team decided to channel their inner reputation era, shall we Mm -hmm. say. Um, Mm -hmm. They mass archived everything on all platforms. And then they changed the profile picture on every platform to this pattern. You can barely see the pattern if you have it on light mode. If you have it on dark mode, you can kind of see it, but it's not really clear. But it is a patterned photo of just carbon. Mm -hmm. Um, And then today, and they kept posting these really cryptic videos about moving forward or whatever it takes. And they were like, dot. And there was one that was like a two minute long video. But it was like last year's footage. They've entered the Taylor Swift era. I get it now. Yeah. It makes sense. They they attempted it. And it was until about an hour and a half ago i really thought it was a half half wonky attempt um at channeling their inner taylor and then all of a sudden and people and i did see in different servers people were like they're gonna drop it today they're gonna drop it today and then boom 12 o'clock est rolls around and there you go there you go so we'll we have and we've said before we're gonna cover liveries in a bit more detail near the time when when they get announced which is typically near the start of february but you know you're not last in your first so mclaren have dropped theirs and we'll get into all of that in a, in a lovely separate episode but you know we alluded to it last week but they um this is all our selling they've, they've definitely taken the red bull approach haven't they well in in the physical livery yes in the presentation mm-hmm. they've taken the sorry approach fair fair uh, but yes, we won't get into that because otherwise I'll start complaining. But that is our social media moment of the week. The McLaren reputation era. You heard it here first? Well, you probably I mean, Alpine also channeled their inner Taylor Swift with the meme they did. 
of yeah um, but they're sponsored by her boyfriend so yeah it's kind of a given yeah like i'm not it was cute it was cute i'm gonna give them that it was cute however it's kind of expected from them and if they don't at least do one taylor swift reference a month i'll be really disappointed Mm -hmm. they have to lean into the having travis kelsey be your owner yeah you do and pat mahomes it's the thing it's the thing at the moment do you know what i mean so moving on for our social media moment of the week. Uh, Moni, you had a quiz question. You messaged it in a group chat earlier and you said, guys, this could like we should definitely do this. And then we decided to do it as our quiz question of the week. So take it away. What have you got for us? I mean, okay, to preface, I actually did have like one related to a topic, but this one is more fun. So you can still ask those. They're related to the topic. It's just part of the discussion later. That's this exactly. this one's actually real fun. So I'm pretty sure, was it today where it was dropped? Uh, Williams dropped a little quiz on their website, like a little BuzzFeed kind of thing, where it's like, answer these questions to find out which driver you are. So we're doing that. And we're telling you what driver we are from the Williams era. Now, if you want to do this yourself, Williams have it on their homepage. You have to click on the link and go to it. I think they, they posted it a few days ago and I kind of saw it on their social media and was like, yeah, 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 I'll do that at some point. And then it wasn't until we started talking about it that i did it today so who did you come out with do you want to take guesses for everyone or do we just want to see who you have two guesses okay i know no. who ellie got did but if i if i didn't know my guess would have been alex albon for ellie for me oh i see hannah if you didn't come out with logan i'll be really sad for you i know i, I said logan you for hannah really sad. you're about oh, to be logan damn it listen guys I am not like him in any of the word, like any sense of the word. Um, I'm not that's really sure where he came from. That's a full fact, yeah. But I, you like he him. and I are very different <laughs> in personality. Mm, that's fair. Well, that's okay. fair. Not in personality. Let's put it this way. We're both awkward beings and, and have no social graces whatsoever. See? You met. That's where the similarities, okay. that's where the similarities stop. So far as I know. I don't. Okay. So who him. did you come out with, Tom? Uh, Jacques Villeneuve. We're twinning, okay. Hannah, because that's also me. Oh, look yeah, at you. Jack. We've got two Jacks, and I'm a Jensen. You know what? That Jensen makes sense. I was going to guess Jensen. I was going to guess Jensen. Oh, yeah. yeah. I wasn't sad. I wasn't surprised. There you go. What do you know? Did you, Mom, did you do any digging on him? Wait, wait, what's our? Did you do any digging on Jack Villeneuve? No, yeah. I figured I'll save that for later. Okay, I, fair enough. I know. Wasn't his dad also a racer? A driver? Mm-hmm. I do know His that. dad is who the... Uh, Canadian Grand Prix circuit is named after. Yeah, yeah. I'll, di- I'll see. I'll add to my list of when I'm bored after the Super Bowl pre F1 start is when I like I'm gonna save like all the races I that are old I need to watch nice. and like do my deep diving and that's when I'll be like, guys, if Love you know that. this, and just be like, yes, we knew this. But anyways, no, I've rewatched a lot of races. Now. Yeah, I've watched a lot of old races recently, and I've had tremendous fun doing it. And there's so much that's different. And there's so much that's similar that it's really wild. I did watch one that was in 2003, and they're like, "Oh, this young hot new driver, or this two, there's these these young two new hot shots. Who do you think they're talking about? What year was it? 2003. If Kimi I recall correctly, they're both in their like second year. Kimi Räikkönen is one of them. Fernando Alonso. Fernando Alonso is the second. Ten points to money. Yeah, I so- pull that out of the hat. Like literally, that's what they're talking about because they they were like racing each other and they were talking about it on comms. And you've got like, uh, I don't think it was Crafty. I think it was Martin Brundle and the guy who 
Murray Walker maybe who uh, preceded Crofty, but like they're like, oh, and these two young new racers racing one another, Kimi Raikkonen and Fernando Alonso, and I'm thinking, huh, that was 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Actually, it was 21 so years ago that that. No, I know, but like, now. <laughs> like exactly that. I think it was a whole Oscar Piastri thing, wasn't it? Was Fernando Alonso had uh-huh. his first race debut two weeks before Oscar was born, or something ridiculous like that? Like, yeah, yeah. He's old. Anyway, moving on. So our topic of today is going to be, we're going to do some stuff around the eras of F1 engines. Now, this is, for me, this is like really, really interesting. I know it's something that I'm going to be like, oh my gosh, there's so much information here. But we're going to do our best to break it down in a helpful and clear way so that, you know, we can all learn a little bit about engines. And, you know, I think most of us would associate the sound of a car going vroom with F1. But actually, the room sound has changed quite a bit and looks quite different across different eras. So, Hannah, this is your bag. I know we're going to start with explaining a couple of concepts, but talk to us. F1 engines, where do we start? You're going to start technically in 1947. I feel like before we start in 1947, but right like three years before the championship actually started, it's important to explain a few different pieces, pistons, Um, and cylinders and what they mean for the car because up until Mm -hmm. probably about the mid 80s there was no regulation for the configuration of the car and it was a max of cylinders not a set of cylinders okay right so um basically so what's a piston so a piston is basically it's the direct connection to the drive shaft to make it turn now, if you're not aware what a drive shaft is, it's basically the rod that runs through the entire car and turns every wheel when you pu- push on the gas. Okay? Mm-hmm. And the reason it does that is because it has something called a piston in it. Now, if you have seen cars, the piston cup looks like a piston mm-hmm. with wings. Okay? That's what a piston looks like. Mm-hmm. Plain and simple. I don't know how else to describe it other than it looks like a hammer with a hole in the bottom. Um, but it's round. And it is in something called a cylinder. Now, the cylinder is a chamber for the reaction to take place for where air meets fuel. When air and fuel mm-hmm. meet and they compress, they explode. When that explosion <laughs> happens on top of the cylinder and pushes it downward. And this, this causes the piston, when it goes downward, it pushes the drivetrain in a circle. Yep. So they're all on, like angled pieces of the mm-hmm. drive of the drive shaft and because they are not on a flat circle it turns it in said circle yeah i don't know how to like it's kind of like an angled square like most of a square and it changes directions every other one so when you have eight cylinders which is a v8 there's four sets sorry there's two sets of four on either side of the crankshaft yep. And they're turning them. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yes. It's yep. a lot more complicated than that. How a car works is so much more complicated we'll than that. We'll go with simple. That's what you need I to like know. that. That's, yep. what, that's what you need to know for this explanation in this journey through the engines of Formula One. Great. And do we need to talk quickly about horsepower before we start? Why not? Cool. So I was doing some research into this episode. And this is this is backstory. Sorry. This is what happens when, you, when I talk. I was doing some research into these engines and I kept coming across like various quotes and various figures for like the horsepower of the of the power range or like the kilowatts that were sort of released from it. And I just got a bit hung up on this and I was like, okay, well, how do I convert that into like something tangible to be able to compare across cars? 
is it like because it seems as though horsepower fluctuates quite a lot and sometimes the engine size will affect that so how do i work out how how basically how fast these cars are going comparatively to one another using these kind of metrics and you know there are formulae and things like that but essentially horsepower is the amount of energy that comes out of the car but horsepower is massively offset by the weight of the car so to take an example from another sport in cycling they measure cyclists energy by kilowatts so they will be able to tell you if you're watching something like the Tour de France they'll they'll come up with the with their power with their kilowatts and how basically their pedal power and how much they're pushing down through the thing but you can't work out their speed from that because it all entirely depends on the equipment that they're using so a professional cyclist doing that on their really fancy high spec road bike will go faster than them doing it on a cranky old heavy mountain bike because the weight makes a huge difference to how much power actually causes speed does that make sense yes so horsepower if you ever see like figures for horsepower which you do a lot when you're looking at like engines from past years it'll be like oh this was a 425 horsepower engine it's important to remember that in the era that we're in right now with f1 the cars are probably the lightest they've ever been. Maybe they've, they've in the past sort of 20 years, they've had points where they've been lighter because of different regulations and whatever. But the weight of the car makes a huge difference to how fast they can go. So the first cars in the 1950s were going at 160 kilometers per hour, maybe miles per hour, I actually can't remember. Um, 160, I think miles per hour. Now they go at 225 miles per hour. Regardless of what their horsepower is, you can see that there's a huge difference there. So those are just kind of the, the pistons, the cylinders and the horsepower. We just kind of wanted to outline those bits before we get into like the rest of this episode on engines. Does that all make sense? Are we happy about horsepower? Because I jokingly asked my husband and I said, how would you explain horsepower? And he was like, well, it's a number of horses that you'd need to pull the engine on the table in your face. I mean, he's technically not wrong. That is where the term came from. But... I understand that. But we aren't seeing horses pull cars around an F1 track anytime soon, I don't think. No. That would be, be so cool. Mm-hmm. Hey, they did that challenge at Silverstone one year where George had to drive a load of different vehicles. Maybe he could ride a horse. That would be the... You remember the when there was like a meme about Ings but saying it in like as if you lived in like the 1800s? And then yeah. that would come to life and it would make me... It would make my life, I promise you. There you I go. believe in George. He'll lean, he'll lean into the bit. He'll lean into the bit. He always does. So, Hannah, 1947, post-war, talk to me. What engines were they using in F1 cars back then? Obviously, we didn't start until 1950, but... The championship didn't start until 1950, but regulation started in 1947. So they did have a set of rules that they had to comply by. However, there was no prize for it until 1950. Now, Mm -hmm. for all of my research junkies out there... If you're wanting to go and see the video that I'm pulling this information from, it is a video that Formula One released on their website that Sam Collins um, did for the eras leading up to 2026. Just to give us a recap, because they are going to change in 2026, which is part of the reason that we're doing this video. Why now? Well, because we can. But it's important because it's about to change again. So in 1947 to 1953 would be the first year would be like the first era normally aspirated engines were the normal they had to be 4.5 liter engines or you could have a 1.5 liter supercharged engine which is basically just 
more power, but you weren't allowed to have um, anything bigger than that. You could do smaller, per se, but it wouldn't really give you anything. That being said, usually when you see an engine today, it has, you have a stock image that pops into your head. That's because they now have a configuration regulation. Back then, there was no configuration regulation. And by that, I mean, they could literally have the cylinders wherever wherever they wanted. And the engine could be wherever it wanted. Like, literally, wherever they saw fit, that's where the engine would be, and they would put the cylinders wherever they chose. Like, they would literally, the engine did not have to look a certain way. It did not have to be set up a certain way. That sounds awfully open for a lot of accidents. Super, super open. To be honest with you, yes, man. I said just a little dangerous. Just a little dangerous. Super, super open, and it continued to be super, super open until about the mid-80s. Mm-hmm. as far as my notes go and it caused some really interesting like choices i guess the most notable one would be there was a 16 cylinder um want to be which one was it it was a 16 cylinder um brm h16 which literally had the cylinder sticking out the side and they were really tiny too and the reason that this failed was because the car was so heavy and the engine was so complicated that it was constantly at the back of the grid so they never did it again right but that's skipping ahead a little bit anyways so moving on to 1954 to 1960 mm-hmm. the normally aspirated engine that was 4.5 liters was cut in half 2.5 right okay so half the horsepower naturally just to make it lighter and why did they do that just to make it lighter to make it lighter um to have more control over the because again it was a max not a set Mm -hmm. value so i believe the reason they did this and i could be wrong but what makes sense to me is they were trying to create a more narrow play field but also they were trying to control the possibilities and the danger by making it a little bit slower both good goals really a lot of the regulation changes particularly the ones that relate to the engines appear to have happened because the fia wanted closer racing and wanted less variety between things and i do want to point this out now before we go ahead any further there are going to be two reasons why we have regulation changes one is for closer racing or safety yeah okay so really three reasons closer racing is going to be cited Mm -hmm. more often when you get into the more modern eras Safety mm-hmm. is going to be cited as well when you get into like the mid eras and then sustainability. Mm-hmm. Now, sustainability, the reason we have these race cars and we have these series and we have LMP2 and we have Le Mans and we have all of those, like we have all of the motorsports we could ever want is because the reason they're around is to literally be a test to see what yeah. modern cars of the future can handle. The point, and we did, we talked about this in our um, Triple Crown episode, I think. Or we talked about it in our, like, whistle-stop tour of other motorsports. Um, one of the two. Highly recommend listening to it. It was the, the latter. The latter? Okay, cool. So we talked about how Le Mans cars are regulated to have less and less fuel every year because the goal, drastic example here, is to be able to run off of the, the littlest amount of fuel for the same amount of time. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's why they're, e- they're either changing the regulations for safety, sustainability, or because they want closer spectacles. Those are the three reasons. So that's why. We discussed it in our WEC episode mm-hmm. it, when we covered WEC for FE and um, MotoGP. And I love that, you know, people talk a lot of, for, for F1 about it being the pinnacle of motorsport, the pinnacle of engineering, the pinnacle of racing. And actually, 
you're right the point is to kind of with these big budgets and almost slightly private corporations to be able to come up with a regulation to come up with ways of making things more sustainable for the world as a whole and then those hopefully trickle down into your electric cars your hybrid cars seat belts came about because of racing all of that stuff so i really like that as a way of encouraging that and encouraging them to be more sustainable is by making these regulation changes which i know we'll have much more to say about in the later years so i won't jump ahead too much but back to 1954 so that's why that's another reason why the engine got cut in half by size because we were trying to run the same amount off of less Right. So Mm -hmm. that being said, this was also the era of the rear and mid engine introduction. So up until this Mm -hmm. point, engines were in the front. Um, It was a Mm -hmm. danger. It was a safety hazard. But, you know, that's all we knew. Right. We talked about this in our safety episode. Bugatti was the first one to come up with a rear engine. And then Cooper, Cooper cars came out with the first mid engine. And now everybody's adopted the mid engine. It is now a universal regulated thing. Um, Mm -hmm. From 1961 to 1965, we had the 1.5 liter naturally aspirated engine, and that was your only option. You could not use superchargers. Superchargers were outlawed. It was was 150 um, brake horsepower, and then later on, it became 250. Now, the only team that did not adopt the rear engine, does anybody want to take a guess? Well, 1961. Ferrari. So this is technically, yes, Ferrari. So technically, I was going to guess the like, Ferrari or McLaren because they were the only two I knew were racing at that point. So technically, this was before the 1961 era started, but basically when it became a regular thing, Ferrari, Enzo Ferrari basically said, and it's a very famous quote now, he said, horses are meant to pull engines, or the, the horses pull carriages, they don't push them. So he basically kept it as a front engine car for as long as he could, um, because to him, that's the way it worked. They don't push, they pull. And he was right in a sense, like, that's how historically how it worked. Horses pulled the carriage. They didn't push the carriage from behind. Um, however, it there wasn't safe. So eventually yeah. that did change. And really, really, it just was really not an eventful era. Although people, teams showed their distaste for not being able to use a supercharger. Which is kind of interesting now that superchargers don't exist in the sport anymore. So... Yeah. 1966 to 1985 was probably our longest era. Superchargers are added back to the regulations. They're 1.5 liters or a 3 liter natural aspirated, naturally aspirated engine is also an option. Um, mm-hmm. Again, there is still no regulation as to the, at this point, there's still no regulation as to the configuration of the engine. Keep that in mind. Okay. So there's still yeah. wacky ideas and they're still coming up with interesting ways to make it look and interesting ways to lay it out because obviously there is benefits and cons and pros to however you set up something. Now, because the engine configuration was still unregulated, it saw, this is when we saw the BRM Mm -hmm. H16 with the weird like sticking out parts and it was literally a block of, it was a rectangle of a car. Like it was, not gonna lie, it was kind of ugly. I want to Google it. I want to Google it. I want to see what's called. The The BRM H16. H16. Mm-hmm. Wow. And it was, literally didn't do well because it was so complicated and heavy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. It's a weird looking car. Isn't it? It looks like a Hoover. <laughs> looks like a little nose vacuum. Please Google the BRM H16 just for the lols. It's fun. Maybe we'll post a picture on our Instagram story later. But wow. Okay. 
so that car was too heavy, stayed at the back of the pack, did not do very well. And this was all yeah. between, did you say 66 and 85? 66 and 85, there was a little bit of a um, stop off in 67 for the Ford Cosworth DFV or the Ford Cosworth Double Four Valve. Now, the reason this one did well was because it basically took all the ideas that the BRM had and it refined them and it mm-hmm. kind of introduced in a way it like reworked it and was kind of successful now at the same time turbocharging was introduced by renault now does anybody want to take a gander <laughs> at how well that went not good not well no it not went well. disastrous absolutely disastrous the car literally probably never finished a race is what sam said um but it it probably well it probably finished a race but it didn't do well like it would stall all the time it, it had a lot of issues so the heart was in the right place but yes. the technical, the technical, uh, what's the word? Implementation of it was not. The execution was not there. The ex- the the idea and the heart, perfect. There. The execution, no. Horrible. That being said, Lacking. a lot of people looked at them funny and then realized that they had the correct ingredients. They just didn't do it right. So pretty soon, everybody yeah. adopted a, excuse me, a um, turbocharged engine. But, and then it led to, but it like basically just, it started something. Naturally aspirated engines were ended up being banned. So now we don't have that. And now naturally aspirated is a rarity and that you're only going to see in sports cars like road McLarens, like Ferraris, like, you know, you're, you're not going to see them on like race cars. The road. It's just not safe. Some race cars. Not safe. But moving on very swiftly to in 1989 to 1994, turbocharging was banned because it it was deemed too powerful, I guess, or like they people weren't some teams had it and some teams didn't. Like there were many reasons, but like it it was banned. And then naturally aspirated engines with a max of thirty point five liters came back. The max configuration of twelve cylinders. This is when we're gonna see cylinders becoming mandated. So right like I said, it's a max of twelve cylinders. They could have this was the seasons where you had twelve, ten, eight six and fours all on the same grid that's what i was going to say so this is the the bit that probably most people will be aware of coming into this is the difference of like the the language of like v12 mm-hmm. v8 v10 obviously you've got v6 now so that refers to those numbers refer to the number of cylinders that are in the car yes cool and is that always split evenly kind of like side to side or like the yes. 12 were they ever like three fours or anything like that or was it always like two of a set so i want to there is a such thing as a three cylinder i've only no, seen I meant, like one. three rows of four in a 12 oh okay um no i believe that they were all set in a v which is where you get the v from. ah makes sense makes sense okay because if you I look at a trivia. modern engine they're set they're set like this yeah i love the trivia i'm here for okay it. wow wow i know right wow. um but yeah so wow. it was a max of 12 cylinders but it was not a requirement so they could do whatever they wanted as long as it was 12 cylinders at max um, t- right. 1995 to 2005 is when we see the next regulation change, and it was a response to 1994. Now, for those who remember, yeah. 1994 is when we, wa- when we lost Ron- Roland Ratzenberger and Ayrton Senna in one weekend, and it changed the FIA's mind and said, we need to slow these cars down. It was not a, hey, we need closer racing, or hey, we need sustainability. No, it was a, we're, we've now it given them too many days. options. And they're now going too fast. Mm-hmm. So they slowed them down, cut the engine 
um, down to a three liter naturally aspirated V12. And it had to be, it had to be that. Every team was given the same engine. Okay. Engine parts. And that was V12. Yeah, it was a V12 because it was heavier. Right, right. 2000, halfway through that era, 2000 V10s become mandatory. Mm-hmm. So they take away two cylinder. Basically well, so- the same engine they just took out too. So, and obviously that's to make, not going to make it heavier. That's going to make it lighter, I assume. Yeah, I think it was just the... the so what was the rationale behind that one? Sustainability? I guess so, because it's less it's less fuel being pumped through multiple cylinders. Because, mm-hmm. like, like I said before, each cylinder is its own explosion chamber, and it's, you know, yeah. obviously more fuel um, being used at once. So I would say that's probably the only rational reasoning, but it would also slow down the car a little bit as well. And then yeah. again, like, so- like I said before... Cylinders does not equal horsepower, no. but it does equal energy. No, that makes sense. So you go from V12 in 95 to V10 mm-hmm. in 2000. When did we switch to the V8? 2006. Every team had to use a 2.4 liter V8 except for one team. Now, the video that I saw did not give that team, but I'm going to assume it was Ferrari. Just yeah. by pattern. Um, I could be wrong, yeah. and please do correct me if I am. They but, liked a Ferrari, and that's okay. It's a bit... But, yeah. Just out of today. pattern, Ferrari, um, it seems like they're the team that didn't have to confine, to, to abide to that regulation that everybody else had to. Then 2009 was the first hybrid system. Now, yep. fun fact, hybrid systems were being tested in 2000. But they did not be. They were not introduced to the cars until 2009. Only four teams adopted them, and the four teams that did did really well. One of them was Braun. Yeah, in 2009. Oh, Mon's face. When, hey, Mon, did they win? Did they win in 2009, Mon? Do you know? In the documentary. <laughs> look, look. <laughs> look. <laughs> we we should just save that for a different episode. My reactions to that documentary. Anyways. So okay, so they don't have to. But they can do a hybrid yes. in 2009. This is still hybrid with a V8 engine. So then, in so they introduce it, and then the next regulation change basically throws out the word engine. Okay, now okay. you're going to recognize it for a different regulation change. And 2014 is the year that we started getting personalized numbers. Okay. Yep. 2014 is also the year that hybrids were introduced for everyone, and it became the power unit, not the engine. And that was also, incidentally, the year that Mercedes' dominant era began. Because they mm-hmm. nailed those regulation changes, didn't they? They seemed to really click with the power unit system. Well, th- keep in mind, remember that they were brawn. So yeah. they, they already Inherited, had their hands yeah. on a hybrid system that worked. So yeah. they really did have a head start that a lot of people didn't have. And they took advantage of it. And more power to them for taking oh. advantage of it to, of it too. Was that a V6 power unit or was that a V8 so, power unit still? It was a V6. Um, it's been a V6 since 2014. Oh. Um, well, it's been a V6 since they added the hybrid power unit. And the reason it's a V6 is because you're getting half the power, not from fuel, but from electricity and kinetic energy. So yeah. they don't need to use as much fuel, which is why these cars can last as long as they do. Yeah, that leans more towards the sustainability reason. Mm-hmm making those changes doesn't it so so ahead of 2026 honestly we're having a big change in 2026 without going into too much detail just because i'm aware of the time what's the big deal in 2026 be honest with you i don't remember i want to say it has to do with the engine itself 
and more sustainability efforts because Formula One wants to be net zero carbon wise 2030, um, which is a goal, but ambitious. It's an, it's an ambitious goal, especially with how much they move around the world and with all of the contracts that have existed since 1950 not being really that movable when it comes to, you know, bringing a sport around the world and using different cities as your stage. You really have to be flexible. So I don't know if that's going to be a proper goal until mm-hmm. later on, but more power to them. And I really do hope that they achieve their goal. But yes, so that will, we're still in the hybrid engine era. The regulations that changed were not engines in 2022, 2021, 2022. Sorry, excuse me. Took me a second there. The, they were body changes. So Mm -hmm. the next engine regulation we're going to see is going to be 2026, which will change. It will probably still be a hybrid car, but it'll be a different form of hybrid and it'll definitely sound different. Yeah, what it is, it's it's largely to do with the type of fuel that they're burning. So they're going to not be burning any carbon fossil fuels. So less carbon dioxide released, safer, over a thousand horsepower, which I know we've said horsepower isn't everything, but that should tell you, particularly with the weight of these current cars, how fast these cars are going to potentially be able to go. And a lot of it is just around sustainability and safety. So yeah, no fossil fuels is is the big headline for the 2026 engines yeah. i think so a lot of people will associate sort of those v things so your v12s 10s 8s 6s with certain sounds now mon you said before we started recording that you know what sound of engine got you into f1 what sound of engine got you into f1 okay probably not the sound of engine that got me into f1 but the one i probably that's the engine cute. sound it probably was and like without me realizing it was F1 was probably the V10, which is, I guess, yeah, the one that same. people can say is the quote-unquote iconic sound that everyone would associate mm-hmm. with an F1 car is the V10. And that's 2000 to 2006, yeah? 2000 to 2006, yep. Yeah, I, I think most people would probably associate that or maybe the V12s, depending on how old you are. If that, like, that kind of, the really iconic. Let's put it this way. When you were in the V10 and V12 era, you needed headphones or ear protectors. Now you really don't like well so i meant to bring this up earlier actually so i watched the fe at the weekend for those who don't know fe starts quite a lot earlier we've got three races between now and the start of the f1 season so if you do find yourself in a little bit of a drought do recommend catching up on that i watched the mexico eprix last weekend and the weirdest thing to me was the noise i was like so silent and i was talking to a friend who'd been to um the one in london a couple of years ago and she was saying that, like, until the car is there, you don't know it's coming because you can't hear it coming. Whereas even now with the sort of the, the V6 power units, you still can hear it coming yeah. a mile off. And it's, you know, it's just so interesting. Obviously, the FE cars, the whole point is that they are fully electric. So it is super, super interesting to me to see, you know, just that as a nuance and a, and a component of motorsports, actually, is the, the sounds, but also how those things actually affect mon you said earlier that you might have a question relating to engines do you still have a question has hannah answered all of your questions we probably got a little bit of time time for one little cheeky question before we wrap up no hannah answered all my questions oh she did which is the best as she usually does when she like becomes professor hannah and explains cars to me i love when that happens 
Yeah. Thank you, Professor Hannah. So I think that is all we've got time for today. You're the welcome. only last thing from me is please do come find us on Instagram. Come say hi. We are at the Shakedown Learning Pod. Would love to see your little faces there. Send us a comment. Comment on the wherever you're listening to this if you want to and tell us things you'd like to hear about, things you'd like to learn about. And just get any thoughts you have, comments, questions, feedback. We love it all. We want to hear it. Otherwise, I think that's us for today. Anything more from either of you? No, I think we're good. And we'll see you next week. Yeah. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.